Let me invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 22 this morning. Revelation chapter 22. Coming to the end of our study of this book this morning, and uh, want to reflect on final words of encouragement that Jesus gives to us here. Think about what this book means to us. <clears throat> it may seem silly at times to wait for the return of Christ. Um, to the world, in fact, it is utter foolishness. <clears throat> the, uh, the bride, we as the bride, are waiting for our groom to return. It is as if, as one writer said, he, he sailed away and, and he's been gone for, for quite a time to a distant land. But before he left, he said, I'm coming back. And so we stand there on the shore awaiting for his return and we look silly to the world, and sometimes even we may seem as if it's, it's foolish ourselves. You think it's gone. It's over. And then the world is saying to us that get on with your life. He's never going to come back. He's been gone for too long. But you continually wait patiently on the shore, getting ready for His return, doing what He said to do while you were gone, while He was gone. And one day... As we look over the horizon, we will see our groom coming to rescue us from the world that opposes Him. And He will come, not this time as a meek, humble, lowly person, but in great triumph, in great glory. And so we will ever be with the Lord. He will come to rescue us. But not only will He come to rescue us, but He will also come to judge those who oppose him, and that's what the book of Revelation has showed us. That 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 Christ will come. He is coming. That's the message. Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will judge the earth. He will judge the world for their sin. And so make sure you're ready. Make sure that you're standing on guard. Make sure that you're doing what he told you to do while he was gone. And so we look forward to that return. And although it may look foolish to the world, we we long for His return and we fulfill what He has told us to do. And we will pray with and, and mimic the words of John here at the end of this passage that we're going to read. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let me begin reading in Revelation chapter 22 and with verse 10 and I'll read through the end of the book. Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. This is the Word of God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly. and My reward is with me to tender to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, 
the bright and morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I, wi- I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Christ is coming. And so because He is coming as believers, we must persevere in the faith. Because Christ is coming, we must persevere in the faith. Notice in verse 10 the urgency of this writing. The angel here is speaking to John. He's continuing to show him these visions. And he says to John in verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Now we've seen this word seal before in this book. And it has to do with the scrolls. You remember that in chapter 5 that there was a scroll with seven seals and John saw this vision and no one was able to open the scrolls. No one in heaven or on earth was worthy to open the scrolls. And so John wept until one of the angels says, stop weeping. Why? Because there is one who can open the scrolls. He is the Lamb. He is the Lion. He has the authority to open these seals and to explain what is in them. As He opens them, the judgments come on the earth. The first seal is a judgment. The second seal is a judgment all the way down through the seven seals. So we, so we recognize what John is talking about here in verse 10. When he's talking about a seal. He's talking about that, that thing which closes up the prophecy. And so what the angel is saying for John not to do is to close up the prophecy and keep it hidden like that final scroll is hidden now and will be until Christ opens it. He says, make it known to people. Now this is the opposite of what uh, was in Daniel's prophecy. In chapter 12, Daniel was told to seal up the prophecy. Make sure that it's it's preserved. And, And part of the reason for that, I think, is because the coming of Christ was still a long way away. But here's the point here in chapter 22, verse 10. John, the coming of Christ is near. There is nothing on the the end times calendar that has to happen before Christ raptures His church. In other words, the very next thing to happen in the end times calendar is for Christ to come. We don't have to wait for a people group to do something. We don't have to wait for, for some more sin to take place. We simply are ready for Christ's return. John was ready for Christ's return. That, that he, he is, as we saw last week, He's coming soon. He can come at any time. So we need to be ready. And so the angel is saying, the time is near. Tell everyone. Let that scroll be known to all. Don't seal it up and hide it and preserve it. But, but make it known. And I think this is designed, as I mentioned last week, both as a a warning and as an encouragement. That is a warning to make sure that we're doing what is right and not found sleeping, as Jesus says in this parable in Matthew 24, but that we are found working. And so it's an encouragement to us 
that the struggles that you're going through right now will not continue forever. The frustrations, the groanings of this life, they will not go on forever because Christ is coming. So that should be an encouragement to us. It should be a motivation to keep hoping, keep being confident in the things to come, to live in holiness, keep on persevering all the way until His coming or until you are taken home to Him. John also sees in this vision the damnation of those who oppose Him or the condemnation of those who oppose Him. We see this first in verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. This verse here, this first part of verse 11, is an indictment on the wicked. Daniel 12.10 says that the wicked will continue in their wickedness. Why? Because they don't understand. They don't have spiritual insight. They have not been illumined by the Holy Spirit. And so they are going to continue in their wickedness even when they're presented with their truth. With the truth, they will continue. Many wicked will continue in that. Because as Isaiah said, there will be many who hear but do not perceive. See, it will go in through the ears, but it won't click. It won't, they won't understand the significance of the Gospel of the fact that they're going to be condemned for their sin. They will learn, but they won't grow in spiritual knowledge. They will have eyes, but they cannot see. Ears, but unable to hear. Why? Because they haven't been imparted the grace of illumination where the Spirit comes and, and opens up the eyes of the heart, as Paul says. They haven't received the work of the Spirit to turn them from dark darkness to light. And so I think here what we have is a statement of fact, first of all, that, that this is the way wicked people are. That is, those who are wicked will continue to be wicked. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't transform any, but, but there are many wicked who will continue to be wicked despite being confronted with the truth. But I think it's also... A, there's also an implication here for what will go on for all of eternity. And that is that those who are in hell will continue to be wicked. They may want to escape the flames of hell. They may want to, to have comfort. But I think this verse is telling us that those who do wrong will continue to do wrong. They will still be defiant against the holy God. They will still be frustrated. They will never come to a place of contrition or brokenness or repentance and say, God, forgive me. For all of eternity, they will, they will be opposing, defiantly opposing God. And so the ones who are filthy will remain filthy. Notice their destiny in verse 15. These wicked people who will be condemned. Verse 15, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Now, what is, what is John referring to here when he says outside? Uh, well, I think in the context we have been talking about the new Jerusalem. That is, the, the new heavens and the new earth. This new universe that's provided for God and His people. It's the home of God and His people. Outside of that is, uh, is the, the home of the wicked. 
That is where they will be. They will be shut out of the kingdom. There will not be any knocking on the door. Remember, the gates are wide open in the city of the New Jerusalem. People will be able to go in and, go and come out, but these people will be outside of that. They will be unable to enter into the kingdom. Notice the identity of them in the second part of the verse. Sorcerers, immoral, murderers, idolaters, lovers, and practices of lying. Now, here we're not seeing an exhaustive list. We're not seeing every single type of sin that people will be punished for. This is just a representative list. This is just a few uh, that represent a larger list. And there are other places in Scripture where we have lists of sin that people will be punished for. And notice in verses 18 and 19, a warning about changing this book. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Now, uh, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible where the words of Jesus are highlighted in red. These verses are not highlighted. But I would argue that this is actually Jesus speaking. That I, Jesus, testify to everyone who hears of the word of the prophecy of this book because in verse 16, or verse 16, that was He that was speaking. He says, I, Jesus. And so I think verse 18 is, is, is picking up from where He left off. He's saying, if, if you... Okay, I'm testifying about these things. In fact... Look at verse 20 because we know who does testify about these things. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. I mean, we would all agree that that's Jesus. So I would argue that verses 18 and 19 is also Jesus speaking. And the object of His warning is the words of the prophecy of this book. So He's talking about the content, I should say, of His warning is the words of the prophecy of this book. Um, and what is he talking about? Is he talking about the book of Revelation? Is he talking about the New Testament, the entire Bible? What is he talking about? Well, I think the context gives us the answer. Okay, In verses uh, 7 and 10, he's used the same sort of phrase, the words of the prophecy of this book. But notice what people will be shut out from if they add to it or take it away. Look at the end of verse 19. God will take away His part from the tree of life and from the holy city, notice, which are written in this book. Okay, so it sounds as if Jesus is talking about this book of Revelation. If you take away from this book of Revelation, then, or if you add to it, then God will take away from you. That is, He'll add to you the plagues that are written in this book, verse 18, and He will uh, take away from you the tree of life and from the holy city. So it seems as if the context points to the book of Revelation specifically. However, I don't think that it's accidental, as one theologian, Wayne Grudem, says, I don't think it's accidental that this book was placed last in the New Testament. That is, that it, that it, it is uh, there for a purpose. Just like Genesis is there to show the origin of all things, Revelation is there to show the end of all things. And it's placed there as a representative piece of the entire Bible. That is, if anyone adds from, adds to the entire Bible, or anyone takes away from the entire Bible, I think we can say by implication that, that God will add to them the plagues that are written in the book of Revelation and take away the, holy, the, uh, the tree of life 
and the holy city which are written also in the book of Revelation. And so the point here is it's a warning. Don't add to it. Don't take it away. And the consequences are, are serious. It is that they will not receive final salvation. It's not that they had salvation once and lost it. We know that from other parts of Scripture. John 10 speaks of that. But that they never had a part. They showed with their actions by adding or taking away from it that they never had a part of true salvation. So, in this final eternity, there will be a punishment of evil as we've just seen. There will be a condemnation of those who oppose God. But also, there will be rewards for those who follow God. Look at the end of verse um, 11. It says, And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. And then verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Remember who this book was written to? You remember the, the seven churches in Asia Minor, chapter 2 and chapter 3? And by extension, this book was written to all churches, including ours, of all time. And the reason we know that is because at the end of each one of those letters to the individual churches, this, uh, Jesus would say, To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. John's responsibility was to take this message and pass it on to those churches, and they were supposed to disseminate it from there. That's why we have a copy of it today. It's been preserved for us. So God is, or Jesus here is speaking of, in verse 12, specific rewards given to those who persevere in the church, in the churches around the world and throughout all of the church's history. Notice what Jesus will give to them in verse 12. He says, My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now, as Christians, we are going to give an account for every single thing that we do in this life. We will stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And God, or Jesus there on the throne there ruling, will evaluate all of our works, whether they are good or evil, whether they are gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And what will happen is, is all of our our evil works or our wrong intention type works will all be burned up because they've already been paid for. Jesus Christ has already paid for those, so we don't have to take, we don't have to uh, to pay for those sins again. They've already been taken care of, and so those will all be burned up. And what will that leave? It'll only leave here all of our good works, the gold, silver, and the precious stones, and. Here's what's left when we stand before Christ at judgment. None of our bad works as Christians, but only those things which we have done that are good. And Christ will look at those works with favor and He says, My reward is with me. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a reward for a, as a result of what you have done. What you have done that was right. Notice that there are blessings that abound. Verse 14, blessings... Or blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right 
to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. The greatest reward that we will receive as a Christian is entrance into the kingdom. It's not that that we have people serving us. It's not that we've done all these great... the, The best part about heaven is that we'll actually get to be there. We have entrance there. We'll actually get to spend time with God, the tree of life, entrance into the city. Eternal life with God. And so, if Christ is coming, and that this mes- and this message needs to be disseminated, verse 10, and He was going to punish those who oppose Him and reward those who follow Him, then we need to, to be encouraged and strengthened because of His coming. Notice the validation of His coming in verse 13. He gives the, the credentials that He has for saying this, that, for making this claim. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Okay, so he's basically saying, I am God. This is a phrase that God has used in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. God says, I am the first, I am the last, I am the beginning and the end. And Jesus is saying, I'm making that same claim. Why? Because I am the Son of God. I am God. See, the proof that the reason that you know that I'm coming. It's because I am divine. I am God. But he gives a second proof, and this is very interesting. It's the last several words that we really have from Jesus besides verse 20, but verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Here, Christ does not focus on His Godness Instead, he focuses on, focuses on his manness. That is, notice the name that he gives, I, Jesus. And then he talks about him being the root of David and the descendant of David. God the Father doesn't speak about himself in that way. God the Father is not the descendant of David. God the Father is not Jesus. Okay. Jesus Christ is saying, I am man. I am unique in that way, that I am God, yes, and I have the authority to say that I am coming back, but here's here's the good news. I am man. That that I am the anointed one. The reason he says uh, there in verse 16 that I am the root of David, he's saying that I am David's Lord. That I am both David's Lord and I'm his descendant. Now, how can both of those be? Because I'm the God-man. I am a descendant of His, and I will sit on His throne. What He's saying is, I am the Messiah. The one in the Old Testament who was promised to come and to restore His people back to a place of prominence. I am the one who will do that. I am the Anointed One. Isn't it interesting that the last name that He gives for Himself here in verse 16, actually at the beginning there, is Jesus while Jesus was on earth, do you remember what the fav- his favorite name was for himself? When he would talk about himself in the third person, he would use a specific name. In Luke 19, he said he used this name, and he said this name came to seek and save that which is lost. Mark 10:33. This name will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and give him over to the Gentiles. Mark 10.45, this name did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know what that name was? It was the Son of Man. 
He called Himself the Son of Man. That is, that I take on the characteristics of man. You will see that I am God, but what I want you also to see is that I am man. Don't miss that. That God has, the Holy God has taken on human flesh. And here's the encouragement that He gives at the end of Revelation. I, Jesus, the man, I am God in human form. I'm coming back. I'm just like you in that sense. Got the same human nature. He is Jesus, the Son of Man. And so that's why you have songwriters like Leela Long who wrote in the early 20th century, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Why? Is it some romantic name? No. But because it speaks to His humanity that He, like us, is flesh and bones. He's felt the temptation that's come. Being a human, the, the, the pressures, the weariness. And yet He's overcome. So the authority that He has for returning is that He is both God and man. And there's only one in all of, all of the universe who can do that. It is the God-man, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. And He is our hope of salvation. At the end of the verse, verse 16, He is the bright morning star. We're in a time of darkness now, but the morning's coming. Okay, tomorrow's still coming. Christ is going to come and the light is going to shine. And it's going to bring salvation to His people and judgment to those who have been walking in darkness. So we have validation that He is coming because He is the God-man, the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. He is the descendant of David. But now, we need to see that He has promised His coming. Look at verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly verse 20 at the end of the verse or the middle of the verse yes i am coming quickly verse 7 and behold i am coming quickly as i mentioned last week the word quickly here could be also translated as soon it's the idea of imminence not like we talked about in systematic theology a couple of weeks ago not imminence that is that he is near us that is true but it's imminence in the sense that that His time is, is near. His time is going to be soon. It could happen at any possible moment. Notice at the end of verse 10, it's explained for us. For the time is near. That's the idea of Him coming quickly. And so the last recorded words that we have of Jesus the Christ to us, after He gives His human name there in verse 16, I, Jesus, says, I'm coming quickly. Then verse 20, the last words we have from Jesus that are recorded. Yes, I am coming quickly. See, this is hope for us as believers. That Jesus is coming. We have confidence that He will return. Notice His power to keep us until His coming. Verse 21. John gives a standard uh, uh, conclusion to his writing. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. That is, without the grace of Christ, we cannot persevere. We cannot look forward to, anticipate Christ's coming. We need His grace. And so we, so, we, so we ask for Christ to come quickly. We ask for Him to come quickly, but we need His grace. And so are, I would ask you, are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Will you be found sleeping, as the parable says? Or will you be found ready? 
There is an invitation to all those who hear. If you respond to Jesus Christ, He will receive you. Look at verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who, is, who wishes take the water of life without cost. Notice the invitation here is to all who hear. If you are hearing the message of Jesus' return, and you are hearing all the great things that He rewards to those who follow Him, then here's the message for you. That you can enjoy those things. You can avoid His wrath simply by coming. And so the Holy Spirit and the church say, Come. That is, they say to all of us who are reading, Come. Come to Christ. Come and take the water of life without cost. Come and enjoy this eternal life. Do you want to have a full and, and, and a final blessing with God? Then you need to come to Christ. And that simply means, according to Jesus and the Gospels and the Apostles and the, and the Epistles, we simply need to repent of our sins. We need to turn away from sin and turn to Christ. That is, we need to believe that He is enough, that His death was substitutionary. That means that He took our place. He took upon Himself our robes of sin and was treated as a sinner so that we could be treated as a king. And, he, and we take upon ourselves His robes. His robe of righteousness is now ours. And although we don't act perfectly, we don't live sinlessly as Christians right now, God views us as such in a, in a um, judicial way, as if in a courtroom, he see, when He sees us, He doesn't see our sin. He sees the robe of Christ's righteousness. Why? Because Christ has already taken our sin upon Himself. You can have that gift. All you have to do is come. Believe that Jesus is enough. That you, your works will not save you. Only faith in the One who is perfect. Jesus Christ. So the message of this book is that Christ is coming. And that means we must re- be ready. We can't give up. We have to persevere until the end. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you looking forward to to the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or do you just want to get a few more things done? Do you, you want to enjoy life just a little bit more? It's not wrong to enjoy life as long as it's done in the context of, of enjoying God. But, if enjoying life takes precedence over our longing for Christ, then we've enjoyed life too much. We've actually made pleasure our own God. But here's the pleasure that God offers for us. It's called delayed pleasure. It's pleasure that will come in the next life. And that doesn't mean that, that life's going to be a drudgery now. We can, we can take of this eternal water of life and taste of it even now, John's, Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4. But ultimately, if all the pleasures of this world are taken away, we can still have pleasure in God. And that's what we should be living for. Do you believe that Jesus could come at any moment in the blink of an eye that He will take His bride home to be forever with Him. Are you fixing your gaze on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down now at the right hand of the throne of God? Are you fixing your eyes on Him? Do you believe that 
serving Christ now, even though it's hard and sometimes lonely, do you believe that that's worth it? That it's the best thing in this world? That you would rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today? More than riches and gold? More than, more than houses or lands or men's applause or riches untold? If you're not sure that this will happen as John has laid it out for us, then perhaps you don't have faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You have to believe. Faith, Hebrews 11.1, is believing what you can't see. You can't see Christ's return. You can't see all the blessings on the other side. You can't see them. You need spiritual eyes to be able to see them. You need faith. You have to trust in what you can't see. Do you believe that God exists and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him? Turn with me to Mark chapter 13. I want to conclude with an encouragement and a warning to you again like I did last week from a parable that Jesus gives about going away. Mark chapter 13. We'll conclude with this passage. As believers, we don't have a lasting city here on this earth, but we're seeking the city which is to come. Hebrews 13 says that through Him let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips and do not neglect in doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. We seek a better city. We are waiting for our groom to return. When He comes back from His long journey away and, and when He comes back we want to be ready. Here's what Mark 13 is talking about. Let me read verses 33 to the end of the chapter. Verse 33, Take heed, keep on the alert, Jesus would say to His disciples, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge assigned to each one his task, also command the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Are you ready for his coming? Are you looking forward to it? Or do you think, you know what? I have a little bit more time. I can enjoy my sin now. I can take pleasure in that now. Why? Because the Master's not coming it's going to be a long time delayed. I'll get ready when He comes to the doorstep. But, but here's the problem. When we start getting into our sin, then we may be found asleep. And so we always got to be on the alert. So we don't know which time of the day He's coming. So be, be busy doing what Christians are supposed to be doing. Finding out what God wants us to do. Finding out what is pleasing to the, to the Lord and doing it. Christ is coming. And we must persevere. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the hope of the eternal kingdom which will follow Christ's 1,000-year reign here on this earth. We look forward to the day when we will be able to live in the presence of You forever. Where we will be unhindered by our own sin and foolishness and, and pain and sickness and sorrow and death. All the things that, that keep us from being uh, made perfectly into Your image 
we look forward to that day and we ask that You would send our Savior quickly. As John says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Help us to be ready. Help us not to be uh, uh, delayed in our response of obedience. We all know specific areas in which we need to improve as far as our submission to You and Your Word. And so we ask that You'd help us to use our minds, our wills, to turn us from our sin and back toward You, the path of righteousness. We want to be ready for the return of our Savior. We want the groaning to end. We want the frustrations and the difficulties, the trials, the temptations. We want those all to go away. And so we pray that... that um, Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that that finally will be answered when Your kingdom, Father, will be joined with the the Son's kingdom and the eternal kingdom and that there will be no one who will be able to go against Your will. No one will be able to go against Your desires. And... We ask for Your help to be complicit to Your Spirit as He leads us. We pray for those who are weary and, and, and troubled and, and are tired from the long race that they have been running. I pray that they would finish strong. That You would uphold them with the strength of Your power and that we would encourage them. And for those who are sitting on the sidelines, we pray that You would give them the motivation to get back up, get in the race, Keep running. Even when people ridicule, when there are obstacles in our way, may we use the strength which You supply to run all the way till the end. And in the end, You will receive all the glory for having led us all the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.